Jesus smacks down the Pharisees, he smacks down a fig tree, and he smacks you down if you don't pay your taxes. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Like, subscribe, comment, get this out there so people hear the gospel, yeah? Uh, amen. Preach. Amen. Yes. Preach. <laughs> I'm enjoying our new studio here. There's lots of uh, wildlife sounds that we get. Yes. We Hopefully you can hear them. Dogs barking. I don't think, I, I feel like the mics probably don't take yeah, it up that much, but it's, you know, it's a little distracting for me. It's a little cold. It's a little, little cold. No. Yeah. I'll, call, I'll talk to the management about that. Yeah. I, get a, I think um, you are the management, are you? Are you not? Um, kind of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the Gospel of Matthew, man. Lots we're finishing the Gospel today. of Matthew. No, we're not finishing no, it. No. We have one more week no, after this. No. Just hold your horses. Be patient. <sighs> I'm just so excited for the end when Jesus dies and is resurrected. Yeah. That's, it's funny. My daughter, when we read the, the Gospels or when I read her picture Bible, when we get to the story of Jesus dying, she's always like, this is my favorite one. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> Fortunate fall, yeah. Kinda, okay. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about that. Does yeah, she does she realize that? That's the question. Does she realize that Jesus is going to be resurrected? Yeah, she does. Okay, but her so. favorite is him dying. Okay, where? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that'll change over time. But Gospel of Matthew, we've seen some some big themes we've been tracing. So fulfillment of the Old Testament is a big mm-hmm. one, right? This was done to fulfill this text. Um, kingship of Christ, Jesus mm-hmm. as the new Israel, as the new Moses, the new David. The kingdom of heaven being brought up again and again. Pretty much every parable is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, so these are some of the themes that we've seen, and so we're we're tracing these, and uh, we're we're in this section of the book. So we've we've kind of gone through the intro with connection to Abraham mm-hmm. and David, how Christ is fulfilling uh, really both of those pictures mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, and a lot more. Then we saw the message of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. So what is this kingdom all about? And then we saw the authority of the king and this opposition to the king. Uh, we saw this you know, last week. And the identity of the king clarified. And the turning point of the book is really uh, Peter 16, yeah. saying, you are the Christ. Yep. Right? You are the son of the living God. So identifying who Jesus is accurately. Now that statement sort of changes. It's kind of the middle point of the book, the hinge of the book. And it's going to transition us into this, you know, more building tension until it explodes in Jesus being crucified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, even at the end of that one chapter, it says, you know, after, you know, I think it was 15, the Pharisees, like, plotted to kill him right after, yeah. right, right after, you know, he healed the guy's hand. Yeah, yeah, chapter 16. Yeah. yeah. So so it's it's getting good. It's getting good. And here, I just, I mean, we really just have these two two kingdoms in conflict, right? So we're going to be seeing, we're going to look at the end of that section of the identity mm-hmm. of the king, but we'll get into the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man mm. and um, Christ's triumphal entry and all that with that. So Awesome. Let's do it. All right. Chapter all right. 19. Chapter 19. So, divorce. We start with divorce, huh? Yes. So another challenge comes from the Pharisees, mm. and they bring up the question of divorce, right? Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? Mm-hmm. Right? I don't, why isn't it? Is it lawful to divorce your husband for any cause? Oh, I guess because why? You know, women didn't yeah. have as many rights back then. But yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's very one-sided. And so th- they <clears throat> asked this question. I actually kind of researched this a little bit. I was like, why? why? I don't actually know why this question specifically. Mm-hmm. But it's it's probably because this was a very debated question. Mm. Lots of emotions invested. Even today, right? You bring that topic up. You yeah. you know, someone might disagree with you or be really offended. But this had a lot of implications in people's lives. It was a very debated question. Right. And the Old Testament seems to give a open door for divorce. Mm-hmm. So the question is 
kind of a fair one, I guess. Um, so Jesus is go- going to answer this very directly. Sometimes he'll kind of sidestep the question, mm-hmm. right? He asks maybe ask them a question they can't answer. Here he just he just answers a very tough question mm-hmm. very directly, and it, it's it's helpful in a few different ways. It shows his confrontation with these leaders that he is the authority. So it develops the story of the Gospel of Matthew really well. But it also just helps us to understand the topic of divorce. Right. So we're not going to kind of unpack all of it, but just a few things here. So <clears throat> verse 7, they said, to, so he says, he says, sorry, his answer to the question is, no, don't get divorced mm-hmm. at all, right? right. It, you know, God made them male and female. He unified them. So don't separate what God has joined together. Right. We quote that in our wedding ceremonies often. So verse 7, they said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So why would the law include a provision for divorce if divorce is not something God wants? Yeah. This is a very fair question, and it, it gets at one of the kind of the main issues of the book of Matthew, which is how do we understand the Old Testament law mm-hmm. in light of Christ's coming? And so, so he's, you know, obviously that's true. Moses allowed that. So, but why? Verse 8, Jesus responds and says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And he goes on to say, if you if you divorce your wife except for sexual morality, then you've committed adultery. Yeah, That's very helpful for us. There's very specific, clear. Yeah. Very, very clear times when you can get divorced, when it's an, an, a necessary evil or it's a permitted. But, he's, but what he's saying is this law was given because people had a hard heart. So this is the civil law. There had to be a provision in the civil law for the wickedness of man. Understanding people are wicked. Mm-hmm. I think it's similar in terms of you know the idea of slavery. Why would they allow slavery? Well, slavery was a reality at that time. God was dealing with those realities and putting their society in order so that it could still reflect um, God and his kingdom, even with that reality in it. But he, what he's saying is this is not the way it's supposed to be, right? It's not supposed to be this way. And so he gives a clear law, shows that his law is one of the heart. Mm-hmm. He's again commanding more of them. So this is this is building that tension. Yep. Again, we're more and more tension being built. Yep. So then we see in um in chapter 20, we'll kind of skip over the rich young ruler. We'll probably come back to that in a different gospel. But in chapter 20, we see a well, third, really a fourth, mm-hmm. if you count the the transfiguration story, prediction of his death and resurrection. So this is the fourth time that he's mentioned his resurrection. And um, and he, he says it to them again, and they're still not going to get it. Uh, so it's pretty amazing. And in fact, you kind of see they don't get it from this interaction in the following verse. Right. So in 2020, the mother of uh, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, comes to Jesus with a request. And her request is in verse uh, 21, right? Jesus says to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Okay, so this this shows that she recognizes Jesus is the king. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yep. That he's going to have a kingdom, which it's also good. It's accurate. And that people are going to rule. Right? He's going to rule and he's going to have those who follow him rule with him. This is a good thing. But it shows she doesn't understand the nature of how his kingdom will be inaugurated. Right, exactly. Because she's, she misunderstands the nature of his kingship or mm-hmm. the road to that kingship. And so... Um, what Jesus is going to kind of rebuke her a little bit because he's going he's gonna to essentially say, I'm going to be crucified. Yep. He's not going to say that explicitly, but that's, that's what he's pointing to. So in verse 22, he says, you do not know what you are asking. 
are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Mm -hmm. We know that cup is a picture of the Old Testament cup of God's wrath, of judgment. So he's saying, are you able to face this task? And they respond with, we are able. <laughs> but they don't Not even know true. what it is. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, cups? Yeah, I, I can take all kinds of cups. Verse 23 says, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine mm. to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by the, my Father. Yeah, and they so, will drink the cup. So you're going to take so. this mission on yourself, and it's kind of what he's saying, but but who's going to sit on my left and right hand? That's up to the Father. And now this actually happens in the crucifixion account. Yeah. We'll see the same language being used. Jesus is up on the cross. There's one in his left hand and his right. And so what Jesus is saying is my enthronement is something that only I can do, and you don't want you don't want to be part of that. No, I'm taking this on for you, and so we see a hint at the nature of his kingship, of his enthronement. Mm. Beautiful, and he just teaches them about the nature of his kingship as well. When he teaches them to be a servant to others, yeah, right. Don't don't try to be great, but be a servant. And he says, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for mm. many. So this is the nature of Christ's kingship. And um, so we're seeing that kind of at the end of that section. Who, what is, who is Christ? What is this king? We see that he's a king who is coming to serve. Mm. That's, that's unique. Yeah, it's beautiful. Imagine being, you know, one of the gospel writers and going back and remembering all this as you're putting together yeah. your, your information and your, your text. Man, that would be crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. <laughs> and you get to include just bad details about your best friends. Yeah, exactly, and yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then we, in this next section, so chapters 20, 21, 25, we see the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. Mm -hmm. So as we've been saying, tension's building, it's building, it's building. Mm -hmm. It's hard to miss, and it's going to come to a head here. So the triumphal entry is a sign of the kingship of Jesus. Mm -hmm. we, we often miss this. He is displaying that he is the king mm -hmm. as he comes into the city. This is all about the fulfillment of prophecy, this we see, you know, quite a few things in this passage, um, but that this donkey, right? I think, you know, because we have this quote from, um, from the prophet. Which prophet is it? Zechariah, right? About the the colt, the donkey, and the colt. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure it's Zechariah. That I can't my my glasses are on, so I can't read the tiny font. Oh. But uh, you know, but he says, "Say to the, the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey." So. Is it a sign of humility that Christ is coming on a donkey? Yes. Specifically, it's a sign that you're not going to war. Okay. So I remember Absalom riding on his mm -hmm. mule. Um, so that's a royal. A donkey is a royal beast. Right. That's. I mean, it, it, the kings often in the Old Testament, as we've seen before, they ride on donkeys. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, it's it's humble in the sense of it's not. He's not going to war. Mm. You wouldn't go to war on a donkey like Absalom did, because then you get your you get speared with right. you know javelins. That like is it is Zechariah. Okay. Yeah. So so you know you know what I'm saying? So yeah. um so he's coming in to seek peace, but he is coming in as the king. Right. Don't mistake that. Right. So that is very clear here. And this whole this whole section is very king focused. Right? There's there's connections here to Psalm 118, this idea of <coughs> Hosanna mm. which twenty one verse nine. He says the crowds were before him and, and followed him were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. So son of David, massive term. Right. They're identifying him as the rightful king, and they're saying Hosanna, which means save us, Lord. So this is from Psalm 118, mm. which is a explicitly messianic psalm. Right. 
So the people get it. They're calling for his yeah, reign. It looks like a king, kingly entry, you know? Yeah. Just the pageantry of it all. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is, this is a powerful passage. And then he goes in and takes control of the temple. Mm. This is also tied to kingship. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. we went through the temple in detail. The, the temple is tied to the Davidic covenant. Right. So the temple is built. It's prepared by David. He gets all the stuff together for his son. But it's built by Solomon, mm-hmm. right? A peaceful king who builds the temple in order to have this centralized place of worship in Jerusalem. So Jesus comes and takes this over to show his authority as the king. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's connections to worship, obviously, right? Yeah. To him being God as well. That he this is his his house, so to speak. Yeah. He, but that he makes he decides what right worship looks like, and you know. yes, absolutely. <laughs> but I, just in terms of the Gospel of Matthew, that that uh, kingship focus is so important. Yep. And not only that, but he begins to heal the blind and lame. So verse fourteen mm-hmm. of chapter twenty one. And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he mm. healed them. So, first of all, he's allowing blind and lame people into the temple, right. which was which was not allowed. But the reason why they're allowed in the temple is because they've been made new. They've been cleansed. They're now healed. <laughs> and so he's allowing access to worship of God to people who would have been restricted before. This is, this is incredible. Yeah. So he's showing a, a new way to come to God. He's showing his authority as the king. There are so many things, and all of this, all of this is going to make the Pharisees and Sadducees even more angry. Oh yeah, you can you can see him just like glowering in the corner while Jesus is doing all this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, getting all the praise, having control over the Sadducees' temple. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was their temple, yep. right? That they shouldn't have been priests in, but they were, and this is their source of authority. So him coming in is stepping on a lot of toes. Yep, but Jesus is okay with that, right? <laughs> yes. A couple of interesting things in chapter 21 that, that are worth pointing out. The cursing of the fig tree in, in verse 18. Mm-hmm. So he goes he goes to a <laughs> he goes to a fig tree, he sees it, and there's nothing nothing on it. And actually another gospel, I forget which one it is, I think it's Mark, says it wasn't the season for fruit. Oh yeah. So he goes to a tree, it's not in season. <laughs> so he goes, Why is there no fruit? <laughs> Curses it, and then it withers up and dies. And then he t- he teaches them about the, you know. <clears throat> the, the power of faith, but there's also, I think, a picture here that's very important. Of this, the fig tree was a symbol of Israel in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a very important, very prominent symbol of Israel, and so I think the idea here is Jesus has been three years in his ministry. There's not fruit from Israel, so his his death is going to be a sign of salvation, but also a sign of judgment mm. to those who've rejected him. Yep. And so he's he's saying essentially. I'm going to move on to the Gentiles, and the next parable he teaches, kind of, kind of uh, emphasizes that. Mm. Um, well, maybe not the, the exact next one, but we have the parable of the tenants. Mm-hmm. So he gives a parable of the two sons, talk, emphasizing, "Do you do what I say?" And then the parable of the tenants, which talks about these tenants of a vineyard. Mm-hmm. Vineyard, very important metaphor in the Old Testament of Israel. Again, so mm-hmm. fig tree and vine are two images. Uh, agricultural images of Israel. Right. So that imagery should really stand out. In fact, think back on Isaiah chapter 5, Ezekiel chapter 15. Yep. These chapters that focused a lot on God planting a vineyard, expecting fruit, receiving none, and tearing it down. Mm. So that was meant to be a picture of Israel. Right. So now we have these tenants. So the tenants are a picture of the religious rulers. Mm-hmm. 
the rulers of Israel. So they're taking care of the vineyard, and God sends a servant to check on it, right? That's the kind of the, the, the idea. This, this owner mm-hmm. sends a servant. So God sends his prophets, and they kill one. They, you know, they, they beat him up, whatever. And then eventually the father says in verse 37, he, he sent his son saying, they will respect my son. Which is completely illogical. I don't right. know why he would do that, but um, this is a bad strategy. But the the, the strategy of the tenants is even worse, right? Mm-hmm. Verse thirty eight. They say they see him coming, the son coming, and they say, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and mm-hmm. have his inheritance." Right. That's not how it works. I you know. Don't, <laughs> you don't get put in the will if you murder a child. <laughs> I, but again, it's that's not the point per se. It's the point is God has sent His Son to be that final messenger, right. yeah. and then they respond by killing him. Right. And so he asks them, again, they don't understand who's who in this parable, but he asks the people, right? he asks the leaders, um, what should be done to these these people who killed the son of the owner? Yeah. And they give the judgment, right? they say in verse 41, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him fruits, the fruits in their season. Well... And then, you and yes, and then <laughs> and then Jesus responds by saying, "Yeah, that's that's you." And so, uh, I am the one who's to come, right? I'm the one you've rejected, and so there's going to be judgment on you. And God's going to give this mission to another nation. He's mm-hmm. going to give it to the to the Gentiles. So incredible, right? Shocking reversal for the people, for the leaders to say that they are the ones who are going to be judged. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who have missed God's entire purpose right. and have abused His vineyard. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, so yeah, so that so that's um, again not making friends with the no. the religious leaders. No, we have another challenge in chapter twenty two. We have this challenge to Jesus about paying taxes. Um, we see a challenge to Jesus from the Pharisees or the Sadducees about resurrection. Mm-hmm. We so these are controversial questions, and Jesus answers them in a masterful way. It's so he's he's showing the wisdom of God. And he's thwarting their schemes. Right. He's taking them all on, and it's it's an incredible thing to watch. And then Jesus responds by challenging them mm-hmm. about who the Messiah is. So he brings up Psalm one ten. So at the end of chapter twenty two, he brings up Psalm one ten, and he says, "Well, who is this person that David's talking about?" They they knew that the Messiah. This was a messianic psalm. They knew the Messiah was David's son, and he he asked the question, "Well, why does David call his son?" His Lord, right? Pretty, I mean, not not a crazy question. Pretty mm-hmm. straightforward, and yet they cannot answer it. And the answer, of course, is because David's son, the Messiah, is more than just his descendant. It's mm-hmm. also God in the flesh, right? So they don't get that. He shows how foolish they are, and then he begins to just rip into them mm-hmm. in chapter twenty-three. <laughs> like he yes. just puts on a clinic of of. <laughs> Owning people, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, and it and I think it's it's not only an amazing passage to show just how bold and how authoritative Jesus is, and what he does to those who have deceived others and misused his word, but it also I think speaks a lot to hypocrisy in our own day. Hmm. Man, when I read this, I see, I think of current events of, of stories of ways that people take good things and they warp them, or take people that are easily deceived hmm. and manipulate them right. and, and pour, put guilt on their shoulders and, I mean, just horrible stuff that people go yeah. through because of prominent people or leaders that lie to them. Yeah, I, I see this 
writ large in our culture today. But let's get into it. We won't go through every part of it here, but he gives seven woes to the Pharisees. Seven woes. And that word for us is, I don't know, kind of outdated. Yeah, what is, what is it? What do you, biblically, what would you say woe is talking yeah, about? Yeah, woe is something that you say at someone's funeral, right? When yeah. someone dies. Mm. You, or, or when, you're, when you feel like you should die, or, yeah. you know, woe is me. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm going to die. Like, so it, it's associated with mourning and with death. Mm-hmm. And so he's essentially saying, you're going to be judged. Mm. And so I'm just going to g- give your, you know, funeral speech here yeah. and talk about why you were a terrible person. And why you deserve to die? Um, <laughs> it's 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 harsh. I mean, wouldn't like like even even in the last chapter, like it's harsh what Jesus is saying to these guys. But it, at the same time, he's also like telling them, like he's warning them before it happens, what's yeah. going to happen to them. Yeah, like he, they have no excuse. Yeah, exactly. Which is also scary, you know. But yeah, yeah and then there is grace in in what Jesus is saying, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, there there really is, and I think that's important to see that Jesus is being harsh with them in order to bring them to repentance. Mm. And and really not just them, but the, the rest of Israel right. who's fallen under that kind of spell. But look at look at uh, the beginning of this. So he's speaking to the crowds, and he says in chapter 23, verse 2, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Now, he does he does at other times contradict the Pharisees. I don't think he's saying here, Anything they tell you to do, do as if they're they're God's word. What he's saying is they often lift up Scripture mm-hmm. and they claim to be righteous. So seek to be righteous yourself. Yeah. Don't 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 throw out the baby with the bathwater. But he says, don't do the works that they do mm-hmm. because they're hypocrites. Right. For they preach, but do not practice. Right. So that's the origin of that saying, right? Practice what you preach. So he's saying they, these guys are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Their their words are empty. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Hmm. So they're going to place guilt on you and shame on you, but they're not actually going to do the same things themselves. Hmm. They want to control and manipulate and feel superior hmm. through that. And then he, he goes on to show a few things about the Pharisees, and, and again, we'll look at just a couple of these, a couple of highlights, but he, he shows that they believe in that righteousness was a means of self-glorification. Hmm. Righteousness was about showing how awesome they were. Verse 5, so he says, They do all the deeds, all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Phylacteries, I'm guessing probably no one has a phylactery who's listening to this. Phylacteries were these boxes in which you would put scripture, hmm. and you would you know wear this like on your forehead when you prayed, but people would often just wear it around, you know. It was like kind of I don't know, cool headgear, I guess. Um, <laughs> but they they would make their phylacteries extra big mm. because it, you know, the bigger the phylactery, the closer to God. Yeah, closer to God. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the same thing with the tassels. Tassels in Numbers fifteen mm. are a, a symbol to remind you of obedience to God's commands. Mm-hmm. Again, sounds weird, does? But they would they would weave these things into normal life, right? Um, so they would have these tassels, and so the Pharisees made their tassels extra big mm. to, show, <laughs> uh, to show. It's so silly, right? But again, we do the same thing today. We we try to show uh, our righteousness through things that are completely empty, mm. but that that's what they're doing. They're trying to, sh- trying to show off how great they are. And in fact, they loved, verse 6, they loved the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues mm-hmm. and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi others. They love... 
to, I mean, you could talk about, I guess, you know, the, you have your seat on the pew and all that stuff. I think today in our culture, at least in Santa Cruz, it'd be more like they love getting their degrees from mm. the universities to show that they are superior, right? Yeah. And reading the the best books on whatever topic to show that they are completely with it, right? Mm-hmm. They love to to have great positions and to be honored and to be praised by men. That's, well, that's kind of the that's, idea. That's the heart of social media is to yeah, have other people praise what you do, post a black square, whatever you want to do yeah. in order to get people's support and like I'm in the right side of history. Yeah, exactly. You know? Be the be the first, the loudest to proclaim that you are in this movement and therefore you are righteous. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do that from any kind of Orthodox Christian perspective, you're immediately shot down. Yeah. So And not only that, but you stand on that, like you mentioned the black square, right? You stand on the, those things and it's a way to look down on others who haven't done the work yeah. or as much as you have done. Mm-hmm. It's very, very common stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and then it, uh, obviously in the context of this, woe to you for people who are like that. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's the challenge here, right? It's not good. It's not good. So. Yeah. No, I don't think that, I don't think, I mean, I think that this is all true in the church. I'm mm-hmm. going to be very careful in the church. But I think like what I see mostly is our culture becoming yeah. pharisaical. Oh yeah. hundred percent legalistic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cancel okay. culture, all that kind of stuff. But. Yeah. So he then goes on to say that they missed the point of the law. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah. He goes on to say, you're blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> you're very careful to get that little gnat out of your water, but then you swallow a camel. It's obviously mm-hmm. a ridiculous picture. You're right. But he's saying you're missing such obvious huge things while focusing on little tiny things. Yeah. And again, our culture is so good at that, yep. right? You, you you condemn others, you live a life of you know uh, sin in many ways, but because you have made up some rule that's brand new, and because you do that rule, everyone else is terrible, mm-hmm. and you are righteous. I really love the whitewashed tomb like imagery because it's just death on the inside, you know. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it's just sad. So you have that, yeah. So this is kind of the modern virtue signal, right? Yeah. Do something very small or whitewash the outside, but miss the heart that God is calling for. Yeah. Um, this that's a serious thing. And so, yeah. And then we see the folks on the external over the heart, mm-hmm. which has been a theme even back to the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Um, and then I love how he, he ends in verse twenty nine, and the last woe, is that they claim superior superiority over their ancestors while doing the exact same things. Mm. Yeah. You know, they say, oh, man, if, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So, so we do, right? All these social justice <laughs> causes. Man, if we had lived back then, we would have been against slavery. Yeah. Now, I hope you would have. Right. But today you're you're for abortion. Yeah, exactly. So Which is killing it, more people. It, yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a complete joke. No, of course you're not going to stand. You go with anything the culture says. Right, yeah, 100%. And you're only in the stream because it's popular right now. Yeah, their morality is not you know, determined by God's will. Even like they're trying to do that. The Pharisees' culture's worldview and morale is defined simply by the culture and what other people want them to think, mob, mob yeah. thought, you know? Absolutely, but, absolutely. What will get you praise from men. Yeah. And so he, he kind of sums it up by saying, verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape? Mm. being sentenced to hell. Wait, Jesus right? is talking about hell. Wow. And then Wait. he puts on them the entire guilt of all the prophets. Right? He's saying, you are part of this line. You have the same heart. And so you're, you're in essence, guilty of all the deaths of the prophets. 
Yeah, because you're gonna do something worse. That you're gonna kill Jesus. Exactly. So <laughs> if they if they don't if they're not guilty of it now, they're definitely gonna yeah. be guilty of it in a little bit. Way worse. Way worse. <laughs> so it's a brutal indictment. Brutal indictment. So things are getting getting incredibly tense here, and that's where we're gonna leave it until uh, next time. Always tension. Okay. Yep. So how does this? What does this teach us about living today? We talked a little bit about a culture. Yeah. Time, I mean, but... I mean, I've just again reemphasized the danger of religiosity and false worship. Yeah. Of focusing on externals that are made up by humans and not what God actually says. We go to the scripture to learn how to live. So we follow God's word. We focus on that above all else. Otherwise, we're going to get caught up in the, the latest trend mm-hmm. and become hypocrites. Yep. So, and we should, I think as Christians, we should identify and expose those hypocrisy in ourselves, first and foremost, Yep. but also in the culture around us. Yeah. Amen to that. Let's live rightly. So, awesome. Well, that's all we got time for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we will see you next week.